if we've learned anything over the last few years, is that unexpected things can happen. For example, average IRA and 401k balances fell 20% last year, according to Fidelity. We did not expect that. But here's something that could help you if you have an IRA or 401k, physical gold in your IRA. The World Gold Council says even central banks are buying tons of gold. What does that tell you? Learn why many Americans are turning to gold IRA with Augusta Precious Metals. Mark Levin and Joe Montana, my favorite quarterback personally, or maybe Troy Aikman, but that's not the point. Joe Montana, Mark Levin, endorse Augusta and recommend them to their friends and family. If you have an IRA or 401k, call Augusta Precious Metals to get their free ultimate guide to gold IRAs. Call 8444-BILL-IRA. That's 8444-BILL-IRA. Call Augusta Precious Metals today at 8444-BILL-IRA. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. We take a look at the news of the day. John Enderocker uh, will be joining us. He's one of the founders of Powerline, Minnesota guy, and the president of the Center of the American Experiment. So on the Supreme Court decision uh, this morning, outlawing race as a factor in admissions, you say you've got a little history of debate on this, John. Yeah. Hi, Bill. So, um, oh, maybe five weeks ago or so, I debated a law professor on these cases, you know, taking the position that... Um, that uh, the decisions in favor of Harvard and UNC should be should be reversed, and and there are two. I made two arguments in that debate, and and uh, the first was that both of these universities were engaging in flat out illegal race discrimination under the uh, under the Fourteenth Amendment and and Title Six of the Civil Rights Act of of 1964, and Grutter should be overruled. And uh, we should have a, a clear principle here, no race discrimination in, in university admissions. And I, arg- I, I argued secondarily that even if you don't reverse Grutter, what these schools were doing uh, didn't pass muster under the Grutter standards. And, and in today's decision, uh, 6-3 majority of the Supreme Court, in an opinion by the Chief Justice John Roberts, uh, did not reverse Grutter, but but held that uh, under the standards of Grutter, uh, both UNC and Harvard violate the the equal equal protection clause of the Fourteenth Amendment. And as you might have expected, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote a concurring opinion that is a ringing and kind of inspiring denunciation of of race discrimination in all of its forums. Uh, but the Supreme Court didn't quite go that far today. Uh, they what they did is they they applied strict scrutiny, you know, the strict scrutiny standard uh, in the kind of way that they should have done in Grutter, but didn't. So, but they didn't go as far as what? I'm not following. Well, as far as they, what, what did they, Thomas they, do that the court, the, the God, majority God, didn't do? Well, he, it's this. Thomas reached the same result, of course. You know, sure. He held that. 
uh, both of these schools are violating the 14th Amendment. But 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 he did so on more fundamental grounds. And by the way, these opinions came out about an hour ago. So I've only yeah, had no, to, no, no, you know, I know start, that. start digesting them. But but as I as I read Thomas, or at least as what is what I read so far of Thomas's opinion, I think he would reverse Grunner. And I think he would say that um uh that race discrimination in college admissions is is unconstitutional, you know, period. Uh, end end of conversation. Whereas the Roberts majority opinion talks about uh the Grutter standards. And so Grutter said several things. It said you've got to have a clearly articulated connection between the uh, using race as a factor, which Grutter said you can do. You can use race as a factor, but you've got to have a clearly articulated and justified connection between that and the goal that you're trying to reach, which in this case is diversity, right? The schools yep, say yep, we're yep. doing this to get diversity in our yep. student body. And 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 the, the uh, Roberts opinion says they flunked that test. Second thing Grutter said you can use race as a plus factor for some applicants, but you can't use it to the disadvantage of of other applicants based on race. Well, that didn't make any sense, right? Because you've got a fixed number of places in your freshman class, you know, and it's a competitive application process. So if you discriminate in favor of some, you're discriminating against others. And then finally, Grutter said that this whole thing of race discrimination needs to end. And, and so universities have got to have a strategy, an end point to stop doing it. And, and the Grutter decision says, we think 25 years, you know, in 25 years, this practice of affirmative action should have ended. Well, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> So, Grutter, Grutter was 20 years ago. Grutter right. was 20 years ago. And so and so Robert says these these people have articulated no intention of ending these discriminatory discriminatory practices ever. So 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 that's what the Roberts opinion did. It looked back to the standards of strict scrutiny that Grutter had articulated in the specific context of affirmative action in college admissions and and said that these schools flunk flunk those standards. Okay. Uh, So looking through the lens of Grutter, the majority says you can't use race in admissions. Clarence Thomas says race is pernicious, period. Counting by race is pernicious, period. It's unconstitutional. No lens through Grutter. Yeah, I think that's basically correct. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, Let me, let me follow up. Uh, layman question here on on what part of what you just said is the discrimination uh just as bad if you are doing it for people uh or against people asian students are saying you know uh, they were being counseled in their schools uh to try to hide the fact that they were asian yeah Uh, you know this is uh, amazing um and so they're obviously being discriminated against Black students, we can tell from the scores, African-American students are discriminated uh, in favor. Uh, that is, they are more likely to get admitted if they are, if they are uh, of that race. Are, are both equally pernicious by the court's view, by the majority's view, by Clarence Thomas's view? 
I think the answer is yes in both cases, because one of the points that 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 uh, Justice Roberts makes is that the Grutter idea that you can discriminate in favor, but you can't discriminate against makes no sense. You know, okay. if you're discriminating in favor by, by of necessity, you know, you're also discriminating against. But I want to follow up on that, Bill, because one of the really interesting aspects of, of these cases, and I'll point to the Harvard case in particular, is that it uncovered the nature of the vicious, vicious anti-Asian discrimination that is going on. The way that Harvard implemented that discrimination is, is each applicant has like five different scores. You know, they look at different things, but one of them is personal. It's just called personal. And, and that's a rating on things like leadership and, um, and kindness. <laughs> kindness is one of the factors. And, and what the evidence at the trial court showed is that Harvard systematically lowers Asians' scores in the personal category. So they don't have the personal qualities of leadership and kindness, et, et cetera. And they systematically raise, you know, some other student scores. And, and the Harvard employees who were doing this, who were, who were rating the students on these personal qualities in almost every case had never met the student, right? So this is, this is an institutionalized and frankly, you know, vicious stereotyping of, of Asian applicants. And one of the things that came out um, is in in the proceedings below, and it's in the briefs in the Supreme Court, Harvard started its, what it calls its whole person approach to admissions in the 1920s. Used to be they had kind of a grid, you know, objective factors to, you know, how did you do in the admission test? Starting in the 1920s, they, they started what they call the whole person approach to admissions. They did that because they were getting too many Jewish applicants scoring high in the admission. Yeah. Their, their yeah. freshman class was up to 28% Jews. Yeah. That's too many. And that's why they started the whole person test, the whole person concept. And that cut the Jewish enrollment in the freshman class in half, which is the whole point. And they're doing exactly the same thing that they were doing to Jews in the 1920s. They're doing to Asians today in exactly the same way, invoking this, you know, whole person approach where, where, you know, they're not just looking at grades and test scores, you know, they're, they're putting their thumb on the scale. Yeah. Will these universities try to find a way around this? Bill, they already have. Uh, they could see this coming. This, to me, is incredibly interesting. Um, Harvard, among many other schools, has announced that going forward, it is no longer going to require students to take the SAT test or the ACT test. Those tests have been shown over and over to be the best predictors of success in college. And they 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 came along, really, uh, you know, as a, as an important part of the American meritocracy that developed in the 20th century. You know, you don't have to have connections. You know, you don't have to. You're, yep. you know, you're yep. didn't yep. have to go to Harvard or whatever. You can take a test, 
And and if and if it, and if the test show this shows that you've got real academic talent, you know that brings you to the top of the of the stack. Yeah. And and it, it, it's stunning to me. It's absolutely stunning to me that a university like Harvard would rather stop selecting the brightest kids than stop engaging in race discrimination. The ability to engage in race discrimination is their number one priority. Interesting. So the whole student concept now, instead of um, uh, using the SATs, will allow them to admit same number of minority students as before? I don't know. Uh, we'll see how it plays out, Bill. I, that, that, that certainly would be their wish. You know, they may want to cut it a little bit, you know, so, so as to at least feign compliance. But clearly what they're doing is trying to make their whole process so subjective that it's difficult to prove discrimination. And what the, would the court think of a showing that uh, not just, well, I'm African-American, but I'm African-American and have experienced discrimination and have been, um, you know, uh, discriminated against in many occasions, held back, made fun of, embarrassed, et cetera. Yeah. So is, the, is that a factor? A great question. So one of the things that the, that the Roberts opinion says specifically is as, for example, uh, a, a college can take into account an essay that a, that an applicant writes that describes how race has impacted him or her. So that's the kind of thing you're talking about, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't take race into account per se, but if somebody writes a, you know, a good essay about, you know, how he or she has been discriminated against or whatever, you know, how race is, has been important to him or her, well, you know, you can take that into account. There's other things too, you know, can you take socioeconomic status into account? Can you can you give points to people who come from poorer families or families that don't have any prior college graduates in them. Uh, can you do what, uh, you know, in Texas, they came up with this plan where uh-huh. you're up 10% in terms of yeah. grade average in any public high school, you can get into the university of Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was a way of trying to get, you know, diversity into that freshman class, because, you know, you're, if you're in the top percent, you may, you may be an inner city school in Houston or wherever that's, you know, that's not top notch, but if you're in the top 10%, you get in. And so, you know, we're going to see schools. Let's pause over that. Uh, This court looking at that situation in Texas, would they approve of that or not? Well, I don't know, Bill, but I think so. I think, I think that, I think they would too. I think they would too. I Race is was, nowhere in there. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, I mean, and, that- and, by the, and by the way, Bill, you know, this, this is one thing they will never do. At least I don't think they will is use the phrase disparate impact. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of the things that, that universities are going to, are going to try to do are proxies for race. And and the court could say, look, we have banned race discrimination and you can't use a criterion that that has a disparate impact uh, because it's going to keep Asians out and get more blacks in. Right. 
you know, disparate impact is the most pernicious thing the Supreme Court ever came up with. And one of the reasons it's so pernicious is because everything in the world has disparate impact. And so it's entirely selective and discretionary when you all of a sudden want to invoke it and declare something to be illegal. They're not going to do that here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about Asian Americans in Texas. Okay. You'll, you'll figure out where I'm going here. For a big Asian American community in Texas, I'd try to spread out my kids all over a bunch of high schools and have them high and have them high perform. Yeah, I mean that that would be one approach for sure. Although, you know, one of the one of the other things going on. You know what? I want, let, let me just let me just add to this. One of the reasons I say that is one of the ideas we knocked around. Some of us former education department uh, officials. Uh, was, you know, if we had a couple of Asian-American students in each American classroom, wonder if that would exercise upward leverage in terms of performance for the whole class. Well, it sure wouldn't hurt. Yeah, it wouldn't hurt. hurt. Right. You know, one of, the, one of the things going on here, too, Bill, that I think it should be part of this story is grade inflation. We, yeah, we've sure. Seen massive grade inflation. Right, right. Every level of our educational system. Certainly, right. we all know about it in the colleges, you know. Uh, if you don't get an A in a course at Harvard, you probably slept through the final exam, you know, but we're seeing it in high school too. And so there are yeah. huge numbers of high school students graduating with perfect or nearly perfect or above perfect, you know, with extra credit, right? Grade averages. And you know, it's harder than it used to be for a kid to distinguish himself or herself with high school grades. You know, well, that's interesting. So is the Texas law, about your grades, or does it include things like SAT? Oh, no, it's just it's top ten percent in in uh, you know class rank, as I understand it. Class so rank. You put yourself, you but put if yourself, everybody's getting A's, what is yeah? What does that mean? Right, exactly. You put yourself in the position of a Harvard or a Stanford or a Princeton or you know uh, whatever it might be um, that, that is flooded with applicants from kids, yeah. presumably bright. Well, you know, huge numbers of those kids, you're not taking the SAT anymore, you know, huge numbers of those kids are going to have 4.0 or 3.97, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. How, how are you going to pick your, your freshman class? I, I think inevitably they're going to be looking at things like, um, you know, race for one, but also, you know, commitment to liberalism, you know, write an essay, uh, you know, that's, that's woke, uh, you know, I think they're going to be looking at those kinds of soft factors to, to select the kind of class that they want. But you, but, you said race will be one, but they can't. Well, they can, you know, they just have to, they just can't, you know, they, they, the, the more subjective the system is, the harder it is to prove discrimination, uh-huh. right? <laughs> if you look at the evidence that was submitted in this case, and that you, if you read the briefs, you know, there's there's a lot of data, you know, about test scores. If you get a certain level of SAT score, yep. you yep. get in or you don't, you know. And and the more subjective the process is, the harder it is to have that kind of data and really be able to prove uh, discrimination. But But here, Bill, this is, I think, another really important point that comes out of this. Why is Harvard Harvard? You know, why is Harvard this kind of storied institution that despite everything is viewed with a lot of respect by most people. 
it's not the $50 billion endowment. You know, it's not the fact that it was founded in 17, you know, whatever. The reason why people think of Harvard as Harvard is because really smart kids go to school there. Yeah. They've had the ability for a yeah. long time to to recruit some of the some of the you know really really talented you know kids in the United States and and they're turning away from that you know they're turning away from uh-huh, uh-huh, a meritocratic uh-huh. uh, system what is that going to mean i think that in 20 years if if they continue on this course harvard's not going to be harvard anymore yeah they'll i wonder have, they'll have a lot of money you know, they'll have a lot of money and they'll still, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, the New York Times will pretend they're still Harvard. But here's one thing that I think is going to happen, Bill. I think that smart kids around the country are going to start gravitating toward the colleges that are still meritocracies, that are still trying to get the brightest, most hardworking, most talented kids that they can. And those are the schools that are going to continue to require the SAT or the ACT test and are going to continue to select their classes based on merit. And I'll give you an example of such a school, and that's Hillsdale. What I foresee very soon, Bill, is a situation where there's a lot of really smart kids around the country who say, well, look, you know, my chance of getting into Harvard or Princeton is not very good because they won't even take my SAT score, which is sky high. You know, uh, but I want to go to a school where, I'll, where where they will take my SAT score. And not only that, I'm going to be with other kids, you know, who, who have been selected on that basis. And I'll bet you that in 10 to 20 years, Hillsdale will have a freshman class that is superior in ability to Harvard's. Wow. Interesting. Interesting prediction. Uh, You know, while you were talking earlier, I was racking my brain. I think I remember it correctly. Charles Murray's book, The Bell Curve, you remember the book and the the controversy. But the first chapter is about um, cognitive stratification. And he talks about Harvard, his alma mater, and how it... Uh, came to a point you would know better when than I, uh, given your knowledge of the history of Harvard here, where it said we're not limited to East Coast, you know, Groton School. We can find the most talented kids in the country wherever they are. And so they had cognitive stratific- cognitive selection. Uh, and so they combed the country looking for the brightest students. Uh, I don't know what period of time that was, but there was such a period. That was the period, right, in which Harvard got the reputation of having all these super bright students because it did. It did. Yeah. Interesting. So I I want to come back to what you I want to come back to one thing you said to Harvard now race and attention to race is more important than attention to the SAT. Yeah. Yeah. I have is it, yeah. Is it ironic that the court comes down at, with this decision at the very time that in the culture at large, at least from the left side of the culture, there has never been more focus and attention on the importance of race? 
as an, an identify an identifying factor as a factor that tells you more about a person than anything else. Most important thing about a person, I think in a lot of the left's credo today is the person's race, 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 race. Bill, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I think that this decision, you know, I, I have I have made some comments that tend to minimize the scope and importance of this decision, right? In a, in a in a legal from a legal perspective, but I don't want to overstate that. I think this is a hugely important decision, a hugely important decision because the the court is really coming out. And saying that you can call it affirmative action and you can pretend that it's good and you can say you've got really nice motives. But the reality is it is race discrimination. It is not a good thing. It is a bad thing and it needs to end. And, and I think that's why the liberals are howling and are going to continue to howl about this decision because, because for the first time, the Supreme Court has really come out and said, no, stop pretending that affirmative action is, is a nice, good, defensible thing. It's wrong. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. They're doing that at a time when, when the world at large, or at least big sec- segments of it, are telling us that race is the all-important thing and that discriminating on the basis of race is exactly what we should be doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also having to do with race, but in a different way, is, uh, well, my last comment, ladies and gentlemen, where I said, you know, John's saying that Harvard holds that race is uh, more important than SATs. That's its, that's its view now. So does a lot of the country. And one of the reasons has to do with a man named George Floyd and uh this has to do with the history of what was going on in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, and now a Justice Department action in this regard. John, can you fill us in on that? Sure, Bill. So, so of course, the Minneapolis Police Department and law enforcement in Minnesota in general has been under the microscope since uh, George Floyd's death in 2020 while waiting for the ambulance to arrive. <laughs> And and the Department of Justice swung into action, as it has in a number of other instances, Bill, and carried out an investigation of the Minneapolis Police Department to see whether they could find signs of racial bias. And as I believe has been the case in every one of these Department of Justice investigations, uh, sure enough, uh, they issued a report uh, claiming evidence of racial bias that's, you know, that the department is shot through with, you know, with with racial bias and discrimination. They published this report and now there's various steps that are supposedly being taken to to cure the the problem. Well, a couple of thoughts about that. Number one, the evidence is very, very weak, you know, very, very weak. You know, more more blacks get arrested than their percentage in the population. Well, that's that tells you nothing. That tells you absolutely nothing. And I want to hold that thought because I want to come back to that if we have a, a minute here at the end. Um, but the next thing is um, Minneapolis can't hire enough police officers. They've been under a court order to hire more police officers because they've got a city charter requirement. They can't do it. Who wants to be an officer yeah. in the Minneapolis Police Department? You've got to yeah. You know, with all the attacks, with the lack of, of yeah, support yeah. from the politicians and, and to some degree support from the public, 
Um, and so here's another blow that is going to make it that much harder uh, for law enforcement in, in Minneapolis. It's going to lead to more crime. We, we, we had a crime the other day, just the other day, where a guy is speeding 100 miles an hour. Uh, he, he takes an exit off a highway, runs a red light, and, and just vaporizes a car with five young Somali women in it, kills them all. And this is a guy who's, who in the last 10 years has hardly passed a day when he didn't commit a crime. And yet, because of the absence of effective law enforcement, here he is driving around, got a license, you know, gun in the car, drugs in the car, the, the whole story. And, and it really is the result of years of inadequate law enforcement. And, and we're going to see, you know, that much more inadequate law enforcement. There's a Hennepin County attorney now who ran on a, on a platform of not enforcing the laws, you know. So here we are. And who suffers the most from the lack of law enforcement? Well, of course, it's the minority citizens who live in the high crime neighborhoods. So here again, the Department of Justice is weighing in, as they always do, yeah. on the wrong side of the issue. And they're only going to make a bad situation worse. What's the race of this guy? He's black. He's yeah. black. His father was a member of the Minnesota House of Representatives. Huh. And there's wow. a whole story behind that because the apple did not fall far from the tree. This guy has lived a life of unpunished crime and recklessness, and he got away with it to the point where now we have five people dead. I got to tell you one more quick thing that's very relevant to this, Bill. Um, we've got a public safety fellow here at American Experiment. His name is Dave Zimmer, and he spent 33 years in the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office, retired as like the fourth ranking person in that department. He has just completed a study of, of, of on the issue of racial bias in the criminal justice system in Minnesota. And he has, I think, definitively proved that there is no racial bias at any stage in the uh, criminal justice system in Minnesota. And in fact, there are a couple of places where the system is somewhat biased against whites and in favor of blacks. But what he shows, and there's, there are simple bar charts and he lays it all out, but what he shows is that the high percentage of blacks who get uh, arrested, prosecuted, convicted, and incarcerated is 100% due to the high percentage of Blacks who commit crimes. It's the offender population that you have to look at, not the general population, most of which is law-abiding, as to all races, right? The relevant population is the offender population. And he's got this pinned down statistically. Well, good for him. Good for him. Now, what does the Justice Department find? You said it was weak. What what, what well, was their evidence? What what did so they say? It's, you it's, said well, they arrested more blacks as as part of the population percentage. Yeah, a lot, a lot so that's of, nothing. No, no, that means nothing. A lot of it is just that. A lot of it is comparisons of very of various kinds against the 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 general population. It means nothing. Then they've got a couple of things where they at least purport you know, to go beyond that in terms of, you know, traffic stops and the like. But again, it's not, it's very, it's very weak uh, evidence. And, you know, and, 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 you know, you know, one of the ironies here, Bill, is that as with most urban police departments, it's, it's full of blacks, you know, the, the chief of police, you know, who he was the yeah. chief during the George Floyd incident, you know, he was black. 
uh, you know, it, it, the idea that these people yeah, are yeah. going out and systematically discriminating against their own, you know, their own people, you know, is frankly kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Uh, three more minutes on politics, John. Sure. Anything. Yeah, you bet. Okay. Uh, first of all, counselor, will Donald Trump's trial take place this year? Will it take place before the primaries? The trial I'm talking about here is Florida. There may be others. I don't know, Bill. I mean, there's been some bouncing around. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't really know the answer to that question. I'm not much of an expert on criminal procedure. You know, my practice was all was all. Yeah, I know. I know. Apparently the New York I don't really understand this bill, but the New York uh, prosecution, which was to have gone to trial, I think, in August and going from memory, they've now stayed that because of the Florida prosecution. I don't get that. I don't know why there's any relationship between the two. I would say that right now it's really wide open as to when any of these cases actually Okay. Uh, someone said to me the other day, the more they press down on Trump, the higher he goes in the primary and the lower he goes in the general. I think that's true, Bill. I mean, yeah. Yeah. made to see uh, polling. I understand it. You know, Republicans, when a pollster calls them on the phone, they, they all believe that these prosecutions are bogus and they're right. And and by saying they're for Trump, I think they're standing up against a corrupt Department of Justice and some really kind of ridiculous prosecutions. Well, you think it's ridiculous, the Florida one, even with this tape of Trump saying, hey, look at this. Well, 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 I'll put it this way. You know, here's here's my thought on that. Right. All all these people take boxes of documents with them when they leave. They all do. Presidents, vice presidents, they all do it. And they do it primarily to have records to refer to in writing their memoirs. And and what, what Trump is charged with primarily is willfully retaining documents. Well, why is his why is he willful and Joe Biden isn't and Mike Pence okay. isn't and Barack no, Obama no, no. isn't? And the answer is when when the National Archives, when it came to light that Biden had boxes in his garage, in his office and all over the place, the National Archives asked for them. And Biden said, oh, yeah, you know, I'll ship them right over. And the same yeah. like Pence, when they asked for them, Pence said, oh, yeah, here they are. And for reasons that I will never understand, Donald Trump didn't do that. All he had to do was say, OK, yeah, here's the boxes. And he would have had no problem. Instead, out of sheer stubbornness or something, maybe he wanted to be indicted. I don't know, but he almost went out of his way to get himself indicted. Yeah, so, and he might he, he might get convicted. He might get convicted. He mm, might yeah. get convicted because there's no question that you know he had he had boxes with classified materials in them and they were being improperly stored. Now it wasn't one thousandth as severe as what yeah, yeah. Clinton did in terms of any actual risk, you know, to the national well-being. But, you know, technically, yeah, he did violate the law. And and I'll never understand why he didn't just give the boxes back. That would have solved the problem. If he is convicted, can he still be a candidate? Bill, I, I you know, we are in such uncertainty <laughs> here. I know. In, I know. In, in any other world, I, I know. Would, I would have said no. I would have said there's no way a political party is going to nominate a guy 
who is under indictment in multiple criminal prosecutions, may have been convicted in one or more by the election. There's, or, or the, yeah, that's right. Convention. But but who who knows? I, I you know I mean okay. we are really in a in a in a new world here. And the, well, the only other thing I would add, Bill, is that while I do think that in in various degrees these convictions these prosecutions are inappropriate or weak, it is also true that every single one of them stems directly from Donald Trump's poor judgment. I know. I know. Jordy Daniels payoff and you know, I know. No, I know documents in the basement i mean the georgia thing every all the hot water he's gotten into is at the end of the day his own fault whether it should be a crime or not is something else but it but the judgment is very poor yeah all right john you are great um this was terrific as always thank you very much and hope you guys can cope with um minneapolis st paul and the problems it's facing well thanks a lot bill it's fun as always As always, God love you. Thank you very much, John. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. 